Are you ready to challenge the rhetoric? Today is Wednesday, March 2nd. My name is Sherry Roberts, and I'm your host. I'm challenging the rhetoric. Welcome to the show. Before I get into what tonight's show is all about, uh, which is a little sexy, I want to give uh, those of you that have been following the Oregon standoff with me uh, a bit of an update because a couple things happened this week and today. So Defendant Blaine Cooper, he's been transferred from Utah to Portland, Oregon, where he's now residing with more than a dozen other co-defendants at Multnomah County's Inverness Jail. His co-defendants include uh, my friend, talk show host Pete Santilli, whose case I've been watching, as you know. So Monday, Santilli had his third bail hearing. Uh, He went before Judge Brown, and he's been granted a pretrial release to a halfway house in northwest Portland with the agreements of GPS monitoring and a a psych evaluation, which seems to be that that had been kind of on the table from the beginning, and he had possibly refused, but I'm not clear on that. But apparently he's willing now uh, for this release. However, uh, there is a U.S. Marshal's hold on him. So yesterday he had a rushed... Uh, kind of, I'm not saying it was under the table, but it was an unannounced, like some of the other stuff that you can find on PACER and other places, uh, arraignment in federal court yesterday, late yesterday, for uh, the Nevada charges, uh, for the 2014 Nevada Bundy Ranch Bunkerville charges, which uh, are are much more serious than his charges here in Oregon. So the question kind of remains of what's going to happen. Uh, the judge said, uh, that sh- they're going to take that up on Monday and, I guess, make a decision on that. So, you know, is Santilli going to be driving himself to court after staying in a halfway house north of Portland, or are they going to say, no, 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 we're going to transfer you uh, right here to Nevada ourselves? Um, we'll find out soon enough. Uh, that We should find that out early next week, Monday, Tuesday, I- I'm guessing. So, now for tonight's show, we're going to go from jailbirds to sex kittens. Uh, We're going to be talking a lot about sex tonight and porn and the Internet and sex toys and money. And typically, Challenging the Rhetoric has a PG-13 rating. I did put an explicit R rating for tonight's show. So if you uh, are not old enough to be listening, you need to uh, tune out right now. Uh, Anyways, I did what I'm supposed to do. Before I go deep and bring my guests on, who just so happens to be a pornography expert, here's what you need to know to help us tonight and so you can interact. During each live show, you can go to the Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash challengingtherhetoric.news and participate with me there. I'll be posting uh, what we're talking about and different information throughout the show while, while we're going. And you can also find me and follow on Twitter and tweet at me at CTR Newsfeed. Uh, tonight we're going to be using uh, we every week we use CTR hash, you know hashtag CTR. Tonight we're also using uh, hashtag porn and hashtag hashtag sex industry. Uh, all of the stories that I cover you can find on the website at challengingtherhetoric.news. And if you'd like to call into the show, you can do that at six four six seven eight seven one seven nine zero. If you do call in, be sure all of your background audio is turned off. If I'm getting a bunch of feedback, I'm just going to dump the call. And I mean, you can try it back, but make sure you turn that background noise off. Uh, but if you call, regardless of the topic tonight and sex or any other topic to do with politics and on a, on a later date, please be respectful. Uh, to me, to my guests, to, to, to other callers, and, and to the stories that we're trying to cover. Again, if you want to call in, it's 646-787-1790. If you're listening to an archive, obviously you can't call into the live show, and the same goes for the chat room. Blog Talk Radio does have a, a live chat room that I run during the show. So you can go to blogtalkradio.com forward slash challenging the rhetoric with Sherry Roberts, C-H-E-R-I, and you are, you'll be able to get into the chat room there. If you don't see it beneath the slider, hit your refresh button and it will appear. Um, I try to pay attention to the chat room. Uh, same rules apply, just like if you're calling in the chat room, be respectful to one another and uh, don't, don't go overboard, please. Uh, I'll try to get to you if you have a question and you don't want to call in and you want to post it in there. Uh, or, like I said, feel free, call in and participate with me. That could be fun. This show, uh, like I said, is rated are tonight, so we're going to have a little bit of fun. And 
I'm just going to kind of jump right into this and get the party started. So here's, here's the deal. Tonight we're going to be talking about the obscene profits and some unseen costs of the Internet sex industry. Now, I do a special series on Challenging the Rhetoric once a month that we'll talk about a little later at the, at the, the last part of the show called Sickness of Silence about Childhood Sexual Abuse, and that's certainly one of the unexpected costs to the general public um, that we'll get into. But there's so much more, so much more. You know, there's, there's good, there's bad, there's all sorts of stuff. Tech is so fascinating and frightening. So where are we going from here? Your guess is pretty much as good as mine, uh, but I could say at the rate we're progressing, there's not much to guess about. Technology kind of brings all these amazing things and even some pleasurable things. There's no denying, denying that at all, but it also brings some really creepy things. And tonight we're going to talk about all of those things, the good, the bad, the ugly, and the super creepy, creepy stuff. Um, so those obscene profits that we're talking about, the numbers are are absolutely absolutely astronomical. Um, I, I just I just want to talk a little bit briefly before I bring on our, our guest, but here's some stats for you to think about, and this is just the pornography, internet porn, pornography. Every 39 minutes, a new pornographic video is created in the United States, okay? Every 39 minutes. And then in less time than it says it takes for me to say this, this number, over $3,000 has been spent on pornography online. There's 4.2 million pornographic websites, and they're servicing more than 68 million online porn searches a day. Okay, we're talking Google, Yahoo, Bing, all the searches, right? There's 116,000 of those that are for child pornography, which is just horrific, and we'll really dive into that tomorrow on SOS. But it's, you know, there's 1.5 billion monthly downloads of porn. Now, granted, a lot of the porn sites are free, and so some people are like, well, how are they making their money? If you go to challengingrhetoric.news, there's a story there that you can also find it on the Facebook page and on Twitter, and there's a great little link there that kind of breaks down how they have this little workaround and how the money is being made. It's quite fascinating. Um, their accounts are truly overflowing, uh, mostly now due to all the technological advances that we've had not just for access because of the Internet, but also tech itself and what this industry can now do with tech uh, when it comes to production of uh, and, and distribution of the pornography to the technology of the toys themselves. Uh, and, I mean, we're going to get into, you know, virtual reality and artificial intelligence and, and you know, all of that stuff. I mean, you know, welcome to 2016 where gadgets and gizmos can get you off, but a real connection outside of a Wi-Fi signal is still hard to find, you know. So tonight's returning guest is somebody who's been on the show several times. He's a regular panelist on the Sickness of Silence series uh, as well. He's a cybercrime forensic expert. He's also a pornography expert. I always say he's a child pornography expert, but it's kind of all par you know, uh, you know, part for the course and goes together, part and parcel, I should say. Um, Frederick Lane is incredibly smart. Uh, he's a lot of fun. He's he's got a really good personality for somebody that deals with all this ugly crap in this world that we that that we deal with. Because unfortunately, he you know he's dealing in the muck and the mire of 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 the real bad end of this industry. He is the author of the book Obscene Profits and. He truly is an expert on kind of how the Internet exploded about 10 years ago um, with Internet pornography. I, I guess it's been probably more than 10 years. So I'm going to cut to the chase, and I'm going to bring on Frederick Lane. He's a, a regular guest and, and, and becoming a rapidly great friend of mine. Fred, welcome back. Sherry, it's such a pleasure to be on the air with you again. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much. I, you know, I, I mean, I appreciate it, especially because we got the two-hour roundtable tomorrow. But, you know, this just so happens to be the topic uh, this week on challenging sure. the rhetoric, and, you know, it fits perfectly with what you're doing now. You know, uh, on the heels of one of your previous books, Obscene Profits, that I want to dig into. Um, mm -hmm. But, Fred, can you tell the listener? Because you can explain who you are a little bit better. So can you briefly tell the listener exactly who you are, what your expertise are, why are, why do I call you an expert on what we're going to be getting into tonight? That's a great question, Sherry. Um, yeah, sure. The, the brief bio is that I have a legal background. I graduated from BC Law School in 1988. 
I worked for a U.S. District Court judge in uh, Springfield, Massachusetts for two years. I saw some of the child abuse cases going through the federal court system, um, which was really the first time that I had been exposed to that. I practiced law in Burlington, Vermont for about four and a half years. And during that time, Congress adopted the Communication Decency Act, which I found really fascinating because I felt that Congress had overstepped its constitutional bounds. Really, basically, what they were trying to do was to make indecency well, Brian, a I, We're challenging the rhetoric. I'm sorry, but I think Congress <laughs> oversteps that, those bounds all the time, regardless of topic. But, you know, I'm sorry. i got to kind of interject there. That's what I do. Go yes. ahead. <laughs> I Believe me, if you look at the polling results, you are not alone. There's absolutely no <laughs> question about that. But anyway, specifically within the context of this conversation, they were trying to adopt a law which would have made the transmission of indecency a federal crime. And that, you know, based on my experience and my research up to then, it was clear that that was unconstitutional. And a year and a half later, the Supreme Court agreed. But in the meantime, I had started to really research why Congress had freaked out, you know, and why they had adopted this clearly unconstitutional law. And that research helped me to understand or led me to this phenomenal growth in online adult activity. And what had happened basically was that all of these existing adult content producers had seen the internet and had taken all of their old material and put it online. And all of a sudden they were making ridiculous amounts of money. And that was the story that obscene profits tells which is how did they do so well? And the other thing that I think is relevant in some ways to the conversation we're having today is that the mainstream media started treating the adult producers like every other business person. So they just, they, all they were looking at was the money, not what they were actually producing. Correct. And, and I definitely come from that industry and I'm, I'm well aware of of how that works and with the internet and so many different other advertising possibilities because of it and other digital now. Um, it's sure. it, The growth is outrageous, and that's why when I say that, the, you know, you don't need to be a genius or a rocket scientist to know that this is only going to get bigger and worse because techno- technology is just like, it's, it's growing by the day, you know, whereas well, 20 years ago we yeah. had to wait a, a year or two before something cool and new came. Now it's every day or every week. Well, and, and Sherry, that's absolutely true. But let me interject one piece on this because I've been researching this area again because the publisher wants me to do a sequel to Obscene Profits. And one I of the wait. things that's fat, uh, it's, it's, it's a huge amount of work, um, but that being said, one of the things that seems absolutely clear is that actually the revenues for the adult industry have declined significantly for two reasons. Number one, because of some of the business choices they made in the early 2000s, the Internet became absolutely flooded with adult materials. And so the upshot of it was there was a, a glut of porn on the Internet. And so the number of people who felt a need to actually pay for content dropped dramatically. So the actual revenues have been declining. The other piece of it that's really fascinating is that so many people now with their own mobile devices and so forth are producing their own content and sharing it with the world. And so this adds to the surplus of adult materials. And the upshot of it is that these websites that charge Nineteen, twenty-five, thirty-five dollars a month can't charge that money anymore. They're just not making money, and so one of the one of the one of the things you really hear about is the the end of the golden age of adult porn. Well, you know, I I, I would have to agree with you there because, and and I think um, I'm gonna like play psychology for a minute, although I'm not an, a psychologist. <laughs> um, sure, but you know. Uh, 
I, I think, you know, just observation-wise, you know, I pay attention to a lot of different things that I have interested in, and this is, happens to be one of the topics. And um, because, yeah. I again, the whole technology thing is frightening and fascinating to me. Um, as a matter of fact, quick plug, uh, I, Press TV just came to my home and interviewed me for an upcoming uh, episode of their series, The Economic Divide, and it's all about wow. robots and, and the economy sure. and its impact and right. and all that. Right. So, I mean, I really care about this sort of stuff. This is not, like, new for this show. Um, and, hey, I like sex, just like, you know, most of the, most of the people, I think, in the world. <laughs> but here's, here's – let's <laughs> – and, and, you know, we're going to have to break some humor into this in, in a few minutes uh, because I'm going to give you some cheesy questions that I know are on a lot of people's minds after me talking sure. about the show all day online. But let me let me just say this to what you said. Okay, so yes. the current statistics are that about 42% of Internet users view pornography, okay? 42%. That's a hefty I, margin, okay? I Honestly, I think that is underreported. I, I really well, do. Yeah. I, think the, I think the percentage is probably about 20 points higher than that. Well, I would agree, and I do have a disclaimer. This is straight from an article I wrote today, and I do have a disclaimer that because of the really private nature of sex and those that like to brag and boast and those that become timid or embarrassed, that the mm-hmm. surveys that a lot of this is based on, they can, you know, they may or may not be accurate for so many reasons. But, you know, sure. we have we have a statistic, and, and that's still even 42% on its own is still a large number. And when you start adding into that people that are using sex toys and, 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 you know, personal stimulants of that, we're talking nearly one in every two women admits to using vibrators. We're talking, um, you know, just a, a large number of people that have now, whether this was a part of their lives, you know, or not their lives, obviously they weren't alive, but the lives of generations in the past, uh, as prolific as it is now, I don't think so because tech wasn't there. There wasn't as much, but yeah, vibrators have been around since the early 1900s. But the thing well, is, and, is and, that and porn's been around for 150 plus years. So exactly. You know, is, so when you yeah. think that with technology, Fred, when when you're talking about you know the typical produced pornography and the decline in numbers and revenue, which their revenue yeah. is still outrageous. Let's not let's not right. you know. Let's not poo-poo the numbers. I mean, they're making a heck of a lot more than probably everybody I know personally combined. But, <laughs> but, but the reality is, is what you're talking about, what I see is I had asked you about a couple sites, and I'll use one for, for an example. It's called Chatterbait. And a, a friend of mine had turned me on to this site a couple years ago, and I was surprised because I had no idea this was actually happening. Now, you yeah. could go to, and I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna list a bunch of porn sites, but you can go to a bunch of free porn sites, and you can see produced porn and amateur porn and all of that sort of stuff. I mean, people today are just whipping out webcams and their their other electronic devices with, you know, with recording capabilities, and they're putting their 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 stuff out there for. All, well, I can say shit; it's rated R. They're putting their shit out there for everybody to see. <laughs> and sure. and then when you take that a step further, those are videos. Okay, so those are static moments in time. But then you take something like Chatterbait, which is, it's like instant messenger of live. Amateur porn, yeah. and but, you know but, it could be anything, and it's all this token-based thing. And these people, whether lonely or need a six-pack of beer or a bag of butt or whatever the case may be, they're making yeah. money doing this. And, and most of them are so yeah. young, Fred, so young. Well, that's that's a huge, huge issue because, as you mentioned, Sherry, I mean one of the things that I've been doing for the last fifteen or sixteen years is computer forensics. And I work on a lot of child pornography cases. And what that has meant, unfortunately, is that I have seen the ways in which young women in particular, but some young men, get lured into these particular websites. And the webcam stuff is enormous because you know these kids are able to use their mobile devices in the privacy of their bedroom. Their parents don't know what they're doing. And you know, they set up these accounts and they're raking in the tokens and they're absolutely underage. And the websites have no incentive to police that stuff. 
No, because they're making they're making so much money of people sure. in this weird new voyeurism. And there's no effect. And I, you know, right. Fred, I don't no even think it's voyeurism. I don't think it's voyeurism, yeah. and, and, and maybe we can jump into this because I think this is going to be very relevant for the rest of the show. I don't think yeah. it's voyeurism. I think something is happening to humanity. I talk about this all the time. Technology is taking us in this very weird place that says we're connected, but we're not. We're disassociative. We are very disconnected. Everything is a sound bite or a gif or whatever. It's, you know, it's the new vine. What, what's happening in our minds is a psychological thing that is happening, and it's starting, you know, as you say multiple times on the show, children as young as six and seven are sexting now. Okay, what is technology doing? It's not just parental oversight. It, it, well, no, actually, Sherry, I disagree. At, 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 at the core, it is parental oversight because those six- and seven-year-olds are not paying for their devices. Oh, They're not I'm sorry, Fred, I do, I do, I'm sorry, I do agree with you. I meant the problem as a whole. We're not talking about this being some weird thing with kids. We're talking that adults of varying ages are having the same weird mental disconnect well, and participating well, sure. in this. Look. Absolutely. Look, and, and and we have a growing problem in our society with a, a deficit of empathy, right? Because right. we're we're not getting the cultural and physical feedback mechanisms that enable us to understand each other's feelings, and that is directly attributable to technology. And I'm I'm really worried about the generation that is coming along that is infused with technology. Where will they get? that ability to understand how other people feel and adapt to their behavior accordingly. That's a real concern. It is. It is a real concern, but I think that the kind of adaptation that the, the general population, especially because kids are introduced to technology now, you know, before they even start school. And, oh, the, you know, the I think average that age is the adaptation. Under one. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I saw it with my own grandbaby and, 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 and other kids that I'm around. And so I think that the adaptation really is, again, this very strange psychological thing that technology is breeding. And, you know, the filmography that was here last week for me, it was interesting because we, we talked about, you know, all of this technology. And, and even though he has the same issues that I have, he posed a question that, it's so sci-fi-ish that I wanted to pursue yeah. it. But the reality yeah. is is that it's it's at breakneck speed. And is this the direction that we were meant to really be? I, I still fight that. I don't think so. Well, that's an interesting Especially question. Especially with sex. Because I think that sex, you know, yeah, people can have sex for the sake of sex, but all this disassociative stuff, all of this desensitizing of the actual relationship of sex, it's a problem. Me, me. Well, my sure. Opinion, you, my and, opinion. <laughs> <laughs> right. But All you, the haters can hate me, not Fred. <laughs> you you do get into, you know, Aldous Huxley's Brave New World, right, where this the the concept of procreation is absolutely divorced from sex. You know, that that, that the only function there is the replication of children and and then, of course, you can segue into the Matrix, where it's entirely mechanized. I mean, there's all of this dystopian literature out there that talks about those potential futures. You know, that's not around the corner, per se, but start talking about some of the, the doll manufacturers, and you talk about the overlay of virtual reality and the directions in which technology is going. Look, you know, the thing is, Sherry, that... that the only answer that the adult industry has to the glut of material that's out there is new technology. That's the only way they make money because if people take a look at the book that I wrote, Obscene Profits, one of the things that they will see is that people pay for new technology for one of two reasons. They do it because it offers new access to porn in some ways or it gives people more private access which is one of the reasons that the videotape player exploded, right? Because they right. folks were able now to watch adult videos in the privacy of their home. And one of the statistics that I think people need to be aware of is that in the early 1980s, there were roughly a 1,000 pussycat theaters around the United States. 
by the end of that decade, there were 85 million VCRs in American homes. So we went from 1,000 adult movie theaters to potentially 85 million. That is where right. so much of the money came from. Yeah. Well, and, and can and can we just say that when, with the invent of VCRs and especially, you know, on the heels of, of, you know, the sexual revolution and swingers and all of that, that that its own kind of internal industry as well happened and and it was a lot of the the, pi- the not pirating is the wrong word the the behind the scenes the in the private homes private swinging parties where the real illegal type of uh, pornography particularly with children or other illegal activities and that's kind of where it was being prolifer 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 you know what I'm talking about before the internet proliferated yes <laughs> proliferated right. yes. Um, Honestly, Sherry, you know, I think that, that, you know, I wouldn't necessarily go too far with that. I think that, you know, what you would, what you were saying, and look, when I was working in the U.S. District Court, you know, the the U.S. Postal Service was very active in helping to stamp out the the physical child pornography industry. They They had done a really good job because they would – they would run these sting operations based on videotapes or magazines and things like that. And they would work with the secret service or the FBI and they would time deliveries of contraband to a person's home so that they could reasonably know that the person was either watching the video or reading the magazine when they actually executed their search warrant. And it was incredibly effective. It, 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 you know, by the mid to late you know, Can we talk about NSA spying today? <laughs> well, well, right, but think about that. But that's precisely the point, is that by the early 1990s, scanners and then about five to six years later, digital imaging technology utterly wiped out all of the good work that the Postal Service had done. And at the same time, 15 years later, we're dealing with the NSA spying because all of this technology, right? All of our mm-hmm. activity on the internet, good, bad, the ugly. And, and so, you know, the real tragedy of child pornography and the real tragedy of child exploitation is that we almost had a handle on it briefly and then it fell apart. I, I think that, um, and this is, this will be a, a good uh, part of tomorrow's conversation on SOS, but so not to go broad into it, but I, I have to agree with that. And I, I think that those of us that are survivors of child sexual abuse, um, mm-hmm. experience, of my age, of my age range, experience this weird rush that things were going to get better and then it just kind of all disappeared. Okay, so Fred, I want to, um, I'm going to pose kind of some questions to you that might be uncomfortable for a moment, but considering what you do, these are a lot of the type of questions that ironically people want me to ask you. (laughs) Um, Sure. So how, obviously you have to study a lot of stuff. So let's start with the easy question. In your personal opinion, how much yes. pornography out there right now would, in your opinion, be illegal in some way? Currently on the internet. Well, sure. Uh, you know, it's an intru- I'm going to equivocate just a little bit. Okay, here, you know, and okay. this is a little bit of a le- legal education for your listeners. In terms That's of good. right, in terms of visual content, the only material on the internet that is absolutely illegal are sexually explicit images of individuals under the age of 18. Now, there are some jurisdictions in which extreme violence or what's referred to as scatological content, that is to say involving excrement or bodily fluids, uh, would conceivably be illegal. Um, Depending on the jurisdiction uh, same-sex pornography might be illegal, although recent Supreme Court cases would probably undercut those laws. So with the exception of children, there's a little bit of variation, right, in terms of what might conceivably be determined to be illegal. But the other thing that people need to realize is that the legal standard for what is obscene in the United States is still the Miller test from 1973, 
And that was based on what are called contemporary community standards and a couple of other things. One of the things that that has happened as a result of the Internet is that basically we've moved towards a national or even theoretically an international community standard, right? Because the Internet goes everywhere in the United States. So it's no longer true that you could get something different in San Francisco than you could get in Topeka or something different in New York than you could get in uh, Omaha, you know, just to pick two relatively conservative. I mean, we can choose much smaller towns. But the point is that now you can get the same stuff hey, on the Internet it's the smaller everywhere. Towns, FYI, it's the smaller towns in across the country, FYI, that buy more sex toys. <laughs> well, that's, it's in the bigger no, metropolis per capita. I know. And also the more evangelical communities on top of that. No, I understand. Exactly. <laughs> It's it's like a high it's it's a really high number of conservatives, which is I, I yes. interesting. Um, yes. Okay, Fred, I gotta I, ask. I, I absolutely agree. So so anyway, let me, I'm sorry, Sherry, but let me just so let's just do the child porn thing. The the child porn is the only unequivocally criminal material, and my best estimate on that is that it's a relatively low percentage in the you know, five, 10% range because it is illegal and there are very, very severe penalties. And so the only people who are creating and promoting that material online, which is inherently risky, are people who are obsessed. And that's a very small percentage, fortunately. You, You know what? You just made me think of a question that I hadn't even considered until just listening to you right now. And it was in part of what you said, and then my mind kind of wandering. Okay, I, I write about this sort of stuff all the time, particularly because of SOS, right, and being a survivor. Mm-hmm. I am constantly online researching stuff. I am all over Trotla's site, which we're going to talk about in a minute. I am all mm-hmm. over different places. What is the chance that I'm already red flagged out there in the cyber government world because I'm actually researching heavily child pornography and that sort of thing because I think this is a question that a lot of like citizen journalists and independent media people yeah. might actually have. Well what's our case uh, in that? We're um, not protected as much as legacy media, so Right. No, no, look, absolutely true. And and it is absolutely dependent on what you do, right? Because if you're merely researching, you're reading you're viewing things, you're trying to understand what's going on, that's, that's safe. That, that There's no question about that. I can give you a good example, though. Um, probably 10 or 15 years ago, there was a national public radio uh, reporter who was investigating uh-huh. child pornography, and he tried to do it by getting into the communities that he was investigating. And the only way you get into those communities is by sharing content. Right. Because, yeah, I mean, that's kind of how you're made, right? Right. Right. You become a made individual a little bit like the mafia. And, And that, the court said, is beyond the First Amendment. You have no First Amendment journalistic privilege to commit a crime as part of your investigation. So... As long okay. as you're not committing Fred, a uh, – yeah. Okay, I'm sorry. Here's, a, here's, a, here's another part to that question then because I know someone. I don't personally know them. I, I know about them through someone I know. Um, and if they're listening, this is for you. Okay, I know somebody who is trying to, in their own personal way, model what Chris Hansen did with To Catch a Predator. They're, they don't have a badge. They're, they're not any kind of a, 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 a credentialed – um, investigator, uh, but they were abused and they're out there trying to catch a predator. And right. I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. So I know there are a lot of people that do that. What is the legality in that? Um, the, that's extraordinarily risky for someone to do um, because, you know, if they're if they in any way commit a criminal act in the process of doing that, investigation. I mean basically they're acting as a vigilante, right? So if a vigilante right. murder if a vigilante murders someone, 
or hangs them or does something like that, they, they can still be prosecuted. One would think so. Okay, so let me get into the, the, the more silly before we get into some, like, really creepy stuff. Fred, because <laughs> of what you do, how much – let's take uh, the kids' stuff and, and the severity of that out of the picture for a moment. That will be the other part of the question. But how much porn do you need to watch for what you do? Um, Research well, really for your depends. books, your talks, your statistics, and, 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 yeah, and it, you know, when you're working on a case, obviously. Right, right. When I'm working on a case, obviously, that's much more intensive. Um, and, you know, for instance, it's not uncommon for me to have to go into a police lab and spend two or three days tearing apart someone's hard drive and really reviewing what they've done online and so on and so forth. So, um, obviously, that gets pretty intense. You know, the other stuff just kind of ebbs and flows depending on what articles I'm working on or what have you. Okay, Fred, I, I believe you're married, correct? Mm-hmm. Yes, okay, that's correct. So here, here, here's the other question that I've had a lot of people ask me uh, since you first started coming on the show. How does your wife feel about what you do and the fact that you have to watch this stuff? Well, it's it's a pretty constant um it's a pretty constant source of conversation, as you might imagine. Um, it's helped by the fact that she's working on a book on a 19th century censor who dealt with a lot of the same materials. So, um, you know, that makes it a little bit easier. Okay, so here's the next question. And we'll get, well, again, we're going to jump back into some serious and creepy stuff about uh, all of this. But, sure. Um, Okay, so can someone like you that has to do what you do and deal with what you have to deal with and see what you have to see, can someone like you still enjoy porn? Uh, hmm. Yeah, I think the answer to that is yes. I mean, you have to you have to be disassociative in a way. I mean, I think the only way that you can do, for instance, the computer forensics work that I do um, is to be really good at constructing mental boxes and and you know there's a portion of my brain that is dedicated to doing the forensics work and coping with that and then there's a portion of my brain that is just the rest of my life um you know once you get outside of that realm the other piece of it is that you know in terms of the writing that I do you know for instance if I'm researching something that a teacher has been doing online cause, you know as you know I did the cyber traps for educators book um Right. You know, at that point, you're taking a, a relatively intellectual approach to what's going on. So it's not something that is necessarily sort of an emotional connection. It's just this is an interesting thing that I'm researching that's important, you know, for the work I'm doing. Um, so to that extent, yes, it is possible to to approach this material from very different perspectives depending on you know, really what the goal is at that particular moment. Well, one thing I one thing I can attest to, because you and I have had, you know, just so many different kinds of conversations on, on these topics and and especially on the horrific end of them, but we can still kind of laugh and joke our way through them. And I appreciate that in you. And I always tell the listeners you're going to love Frederick because he is <laughs> he's a real down-to-earth, you know, normal person. And I think that sometimes yeah. we have a title of some sort of an expert or somehow involved with the government or, you know, their dealings that that we feel weird. And I, I don't feel that with you. I just really enjoy you. So Fred, I, I want I wanna ask you and then and then we're gonna jump on over to the next thing here, but I wanna ask you when it comes to when you're doing investigations and research and stuff with regards to the child pornography. Yeah. How much of that how much of your investigation, kind of percentage-wise, do you have to deal with actually viewing it? Well, um, if it's a case that requires and, me I'm sorry, to go... and, and when you do have to view it, what specifically yeah. are you looking for while you're viewing it? Well, that's that's a that's probably an easier place to start. So, with the computer forensics work that I do, Sherry. My um, my involvement varies from case to case. 
So in some cases, I'm simply asked to review materials and talk to the attorney about what the potential issues might be. In other cases, like a case I'm working on right now, excuse me, my role is actually to to do an independent computer forensics examination to do two things. Number one, to verify that the evidence that the court or the um, that the law enforcement folks found on the hard drive is actually there. So that's number one. And then number two, because I typically work for defense attorneys, the other part of my job is to go through the hard drive and see if there's any evidence that is any way helpful to the defendant. So in a case like that, to answer the question, I would spend quite a lot of time looking at the content that the uh, the, the federal police or the state police argues is illegal. Um, you know, probably the most I've, I've gone through is, you know, honestly going through four days worth of material on a hard drive, you know, where it's six hours a day, plowing through, basically verifying everything that the police said, because that that is the the basic requirement of providing a competent defense to someone. Um, in many other how, how cases, many cases about Fred? How many how many cases about a year do you do uh, with regards to child pornography? Well, honestly, Sherry, it's slowing down because I'm trying. <laughs> I'm really kind of burned out, so I'm trying to do less of it. But I would say probably over 15 years, I've done you know 150, 200 cases. That's just got to be so much for our mind. I don't mind. <laughs> I can I can understand you being burned out. So I'm I'm going to segue over to the creepy here real quick. Um, I, I did a story sure. this week, Fred, um, and and I talked to you know another uh, recurring guest here, which is Mark Zaid. He's the national security attorney for the United States. He's out of D.C. Really good friend of mine, and he's kind of my go-to legal person. And sometimes. It's not his legal specialty, um, but he can refer me, um, you know, to who who it is. But in this case, uh, it you know, pretty much any attorney could answer the question. And the the reality is, is with technology and and the particular industry we're talking about, the sex industry, the online sex industry, and um, you know, sex toys and all of that. There isn't a lot of oversight. I've done considerable, certainly not like you have, but I have done considerable amount of research. I've made calls. I've talked to people um, in the industry, in these companies, and 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 how things work. And we have, you know, my big question this week in an article was, is there a sex doll with your face on it? Now we mm-hmm. have companies like Real Doll and Synthetics and Ruby 13, um, we have Dutch Wives, uh, you know, we have all these synthetic dolls, adult dolls uh, that are sex dolls. They're not blow-up dolls. These are extremely realistic looking. Um, I mean, just beyond extremely realistic. And some of them, it's funny because some of these companies actually make very unrealistic looking ones too that are very cartoony, but apparently, you know, it's one of the paraphilias, one of the fetishes out there. Um, But that being said, these dolls are, you know, some of them are going like for $60,000, a real doll from Abyss Creations LLC. They have, you know, it's it's, it's going for $60,000 and more. And that's not even a custom doll. So my question is, is if somebody's got a bunch of money, okay, and and they want to have a doll made with someone's specific space on it, who's stopping them and is it illegal? And what I have found out that technically it's not even illegal that they can be sued, but our privacy rights um, really fall more in line to do with promotion and advertising. So if these are not something on the shelf and being advertised to the general public, and it's a special request customization thing. It's a, it's quite, you know, it's a, it's a hell of a battle in the court that you may or may not win. So I suppose, Fred, if I want to have a Fred sex doll, uh, I can, I can potentially buy one. And that, that becomes even more disturbing to me when we think, <laughs> when yeah. we think about companies like Trotla, which, which specifically makes dolls that are even more realistic than these adult doll companies. I mean, it's. Right. Well, how realistic Trotla's dolls are to little children. 
Well, Sherry, when you and I started talking about this, I began to do a little research on this specific field because I hadn't done very much. And there is a really kind of startlingly large doll community out there of people who are absolutely fascinated by these these uh, products. And because remarkable... they are disconnected from people. <laughs> well, this is what technology is doing. <laughs> well, okay, fine, I get that, but I I think there's a little bit of a chicken and egg thing here in the sense that are they reaching out or they does their fetish develop because they're dis- disconnected, or you know does the do, do the products somehow fuel that? It's very complicated stuff. And the other thing, too, on this, Sherry, that's interesting is, you know, the the doll thing predates technology. You know, this is, these are not yet, these are not yet mechanical devices. They're not wirelessly connected to the Internet or anything like that. That will happen because if you really want to freak your listeners out, Think about the fact that kids now are being sold toys. Barbie, for instance, there's a couple of other products. Yeah, hello, Barbie. Slides. Right. They're connected to the Internet. They memorize conversations. They respond. I mean, I just bought the Amazon Echo, which responds to my voice. These are responding to the conversational cues of children. You put the technology together with a hyper-realistic adult sex doll, and why would you ever need to be in a real relationship? I, I completely agree. And um, just because you brought up uh, the kids' toys and tech, um, as you know, that yeah. I think that was probably one of the first shows that I had you come on. When I found out about uh, the Hello Barbie, this Wi-Fi-enabled uh, voice recognition, the, the data is up in a cloud, including with the child's picture. These are basically yeah. buying devices in the home, first of all. For spying for who? It doesn't matter sure. because we cannot make any assumptions that anybody that has control of this data is not a freaking pedophile. Pedophiles are our teachers, their parents. They're not strangers for the most part. These are really people. We have cases in court right now in the United States, in the U.K., with government officials for that matter. I mean, I ask the question all the time, Fred. I'm sorry I'm on a soapbox, but I ask the question all the time about all the NSA spying and the data collection. You know, when you're telling me, you know, for the past year that, that children as young as six and seven years old are sexting, and we have the NSA that's collecting all of that data, where is the accountability, where is the oversight on what pedophile might be looking at those pictures of the minors that have, in fact, been collected? So we go back to, you know, the, the these child dolls and, and all of this stuff that's going on. I mean, I just do not see how technology is going to be our friend. How is te- how can we use technology to combat this, Fred? Well, and I know that's... I just got completely off track, but I'm a little upset <laughs> right now. <laughs> I I understand that. You know, actually, Sherry, that's a broad question, right? I mean, you're you're really asking a a huge question in terms of. How do we address many of the ills that technology has brought on? Look, you know, every technology, whether it's Internet-based or otherwise, has presented problems to parents, right? I mean, cars have made it possible for pedophiles to expand their reach or planes or any number of things. Actually, just today I was reading about a case of a man in Wales who groomed a child in Oregon and flew five and a half thousand miles to assault her. It made just absolutely bewildering. Now, yes, that's partly the Internet's fault, but we could also blame the planes. We could blame the hotel chain where he stayed. I mean, you know, it's, it's a potentially endless thing. I will argue to you very strongly that the overall benefit of the Internet vastly out see vastly exceeds vastly outweighs the the negatives it's just that we need to be more alert and more proactive in educating our children and all of this stuff we're talking about tonight right i mean the fact that you felt that you had to put an r rating on something which honestly hasn't been that explicit but kids need better education and there are 25 states in the united states 
that do not allow the teaching of sex education. That's half of the United States. It's it's absolutely right. and and, and and the biggest part of that argument that 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 keeps it out of those schools is when you have people that don't want kids to know about contraception and a lot of right. conservative right. states. Um, yes, because absolutely. They, they, I, and unfortunately, those are the ones that we're seeing statistically that are also participating in a lot of this stuff. And have the highest birth rates, of course. It's not rocket it's science, really, Sherry. <laughs> it's, it's crazy. Okay, so I want to get us back on track. Let's, it's, yeah. My face, your face on a sex doll. Okay, or or my grandbaby's face on a Trotla doll. What's stopping that, yeah. Fred? That's your Nothing. job. <laughs> not 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 my job. It's it is it is <laughs> Dang. it is a, it is unfortunately it is very much unfortunately a byproduct of technology and imagination. You yes, you could adopt a law which would prevent or which would try to prevent the unauthorized appropriation of someone's image. And some states do have those laws, which basically means that even if it's not for commercial purposes, you can't use someone's image without their permission. New York, where I live now, happens to be a commercial-based state, which means basically that unless you're using someone's image for commercial purposes, it's all fair game. And so I I don't have a good answer for that. But okay, so let's let's take your expert hat off for a moment. You're just a human being individual. Would you fight that mm-hmm. to the death if you found out that there was a sex doll with your face on it? Well, I mean, honestly, <laughs> sorry, you're asking a you're asking a guy, so I'm not sure that the the reaction is exactly the same. But look, if I had a daughter, which I don't, I have four boys, but if I had a daughter, yeah, absolutely. And there's a huge double standard there. But but speaking for me personally, I, I, I would think it was obviously seriously weird, but not not, you know, the end of the world. I'd be much more upset if someone was misappropriating my my writing, for instance, which is a manifestation of me. Um but on the other hand, let's say you're Scarlett Johansson, right? And let's say we get to the point where we've got, you know, virtual reality sex and people are programming you know, their devices so that they can have sex with Scarlett Johansson. She has a right to stop that. Well, you know, I would like to believe that to be true to the full extent. However, people like Scarlett Johansson, well, maybe not her unless she unless she was one of the ones that ever did a porn movie. But the truth of the matter is, and this is kind of off topic, but on topic because we're talking about sex, okay? There are women that are doing self-mutilation. They're having labiaplasty. And the models, the models that the doctors are using and giving choices of are porn stars. Yeah, so well, I, can't, I can't have Scarlett's face, but I can have her hoo-ha? Well, not hers, but you could have, you know, Jenna Jones's or someone. <laughs> sure. <laughs> well, you know, you know I mean, hey, it's all fair game, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, well and of I, course, I can tell you the know, listeners this. Some of life. I was going to say, I can tell the listeners this. There are some guys out there that, for whatever reason, think that I'm really hot. If there's some dude that decides they want to get a sex doll with my face on it, please choose it from at least 10 years ago. (laughs) And my body back then, too. I'm almost 50. (laughs) But if it happens, I'm going to sue your ass. Fred, do you have any final thoughts on this whole topic? Um, and, and I appreciate you coming on because it's been it's been fun. Uh, it's a it's a heavy topic all the way around. In your final thought, Fred, can you please address what, in your estimate right now in your research, how many yeah. billions of dollars is the porn and sex toy and all of that the whole internet sex industry worth right now? Well, when I when I did obscene profits, the estimate um, for annual revenues was somewhere between fourteen and fifteen billion dollars, which was more than movie tickets, it was more than sports tickets, all rolled into one. Um, I would be surprised if the annual revenues were, you know, really a third to a half of that now. I think that the drop-off has been that severe. I think that's one of the reasons that you're seeing a lot of interest in these new technologies, because they're looking for ways to generate more revenue. I think it's it's really, really hard to do just because there's now so much content available. It's just 
you know, really at some point, what is the point, you know? Um, that being said, I think that we are constantly seeing new innovations and new applications of technology. And while, yes, a lot of it is both socially and personally upsetting, at the same time, it is absolutely fascinating, right? Because we're combining yeah. this this most ancient of human endeavors, <laughs> which really, I mean, pretty much since the dawn of time, and we're combining right. it with constantly new ways of interacting. It's fascinating. Well, I think it is fascinating. And just for the listeners to know, I don't think that uh, Fred would disagree um, you know, sex is a healthy and wonderful thing. And there are many people, including myself, that, that watches pornography, um, uses sexual aids and all of that. The thing is is that there comes a responsibility with participating in technology. And that responsibility goes beyond our own personal satisfaction because as we're putting dollars into that system, just like any other system, as we're putting an interest into that system that fuels that flame, then we automatically have onus to what happens thereafter. And anybody that thinks that they can watch you know, XTube or RedTube for free online or, or any of the other plethora of things or people that want to buy a real dollar of synthetics or a Ruby 13 or any of those things. The thing is is that when you, like I said, when you put money and effort into that industry, you now have this ownership of everything that it puts out there because you're an adult, hopefully, and you need to be responsible in the things that, turn you on. So long as you're not hurting anybody. Fred, thank you so, so much for coming on again. Thank you for all of you do. Your insight, your knowledge is completely a wonderful contribution to the show, uh, not only CTR, but SOS, and for sure, to the mm. world. I mean, your work is, is crazy cool. Well, Sherry, that's super kind of you. I really love uh, talking with you about these issues, and to all of your listeners, just talk with your kids. You know, make them informed adults. Well, that's all we can do. That's all we can do. Um, if you want to check out Fred's work, just go to fredericlane.com. You can see all the many, many books that he's written. You can uh, just read kind of all about him and the work that he does. He's a really cool guy, a really interesting guy. His work is kind of stellar. I, I, I rely on it. I appreciate it, and, and I couldn't ask for a better guest on these topics. He truly is an expert. So we thank Fred uh, for coming. I also want to thank all of the listeners. Um, I, I appreciate you. I, I know that sometimes you tune in not knowing what I'm going to do that week, and it might be dramatically different than the week before. But it's always something to do about accountability, whether it's the government or corporations or maybe it's our own. And in a lot of cases, it's all of the above. That's just kind of the way the world works. Um, we need to have more conversations like the one that we had with Frederick Lane tonight. People really have a hard time talking about a lot of things and unfortunately, it's usually those very things that should be talked about, you know, more often or the most, like children and sex, which is what Frederick and I, along with several others, are going to be talking about tomorrow. Uh, Truckers Against Trafficking is going to be here, an independent doll maker who has been barded with uh, pedophiles who want to buy their dolls for child sex doll purposes, and that's not what these are. Um, I, I can't even imagine being in her shoes. We have our, our, our regular panel on SOS tomorrow. Very special show every first Thursday. Please tune in. It's 5 o'clock Pacific time tomorrow, um, and, and I hope you tune in. If not, you can catch the archi archive. But, you know, like children in sex, how, how do you have that conversation? Because it's not just child pornography. It's not just child trafficking. It's not just child sexual abuse, which... It parlays into so many different things. We have to have these conversations. They have to be daily, regular, coffee table conversations, or else they're always shoved and hushed under the rugs and the tables, and we can't get anywhere. But for all of those that like talking about porn tonight, I enjoyed it too, and I hope you all have a great evening. Thank you, Fred, and thank you, listeners. I appreciate all of you. Check out the website at challengingtherhetoric.news. And I will be back tomorrow for SOS and then next Wednesday for the regular show.